Welcome to Out of the Blank. to another episode of out of the blank podcast i'm here with peter peter please for the audience out there listening who doesn't really understand who you are or maybe might not have heard of you they're missing out obviously um but if you want to explain to them a little bit about yourself well i'm a professional undertaker i guess paleontologist <laughs> my whole life digging up dead stuff uh it's been fun though been a great career i wouldn't change it for anything I got to ask so, why, why you got go started, ahead. why you got started in paleontology. Oh, come on. Every kid loves dinosaurs. <sighs> and some of us just quit being kids, right? So it's arrested development. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been a really fun thing to do. So I've kept at it. Well, you do like a plethora of other things too. You're a TEDx speaker, or at least I've seen some TED talks with you in it. Um, I've listened to countless of your interviews, but I came across you from the Medea um, is it's is it's theory. It's not a hypothesis. It's a theory, right? Well, it's not even that elevated. It was simply a a reaction to Gaia theory or Gaia hypothesis. Gaia G A I A is the Greek name for the good mother. And 20, 30, 40 years ago, a number of scientists started thinking, well, the Earth is essentially a superorganism, and that Gaia, the good mother, looks over us, and we humans scurrying around like ants kind of screw things up, but nature will fix it. Well, this idea that we can do all of our bad mistakes and our mother will come behind us and clean up our rooms and take care of us, I really became increasingly unhappy with that. So if you're going to dip into Greek mythology, Gaia being Greek, who is the worst mother? Because my sense of it is quite the opposite, that let's imagine you get 25 beetles, you put them in a jar, and it's got a limited amount of food. Well, they'll all compete for the food, right? But the other thing they keep doing is they keep making biological chemical messes. All that food that goes through their body comes out as poop, it rots, bacteria take over, and pretty soon you've killed off all your beetles. So the earth, if we think of the earth as a great big closed system and we have all this life in it, there are a lot of life's waste that take place. And where I became very fascinated about this, I study mass extinctions, the time and deep time when so many creatures go extinct. And so many of the mass extinctions are not caused by asteroids from space, but they're caused by bacteria, small, tiny bacteria changing the type that are present over time long periods of time create toxic waste, but ultimately it's life that's killing itself. And the Medea hypothesis is simply that on planets, any planet, sooner or later, life will bring an end to that planet's life. The only way out is intelligence. The only way out is if some stock on some planet, finally somewhere the life evolves to intelligence realizes Aha, I have to start cleaning up this chemical mess we're producing. Whoops, sorry. I should have shut that off. 
I didn't even hear it. Uh, I just got a phone call. Is it the IRS? <laughs> no, have you heard they went out of business? <laughs> so just this whole sense that life really is in a way sort of deadly to itself. And we've seen of the big five mass extinctions, four were caused by life. So Medea, the bad mother, and the reason we talk about that name in the famous story, Jason and the Argonauts, Jason goes after the Golden Fleece, but to get it, he seduces the daughter of the king who has the fleece. But Jason is such a bad guy. He, uh, a very bad father, and she ultimately hates him so much she kids her children, kills her children. So she is the worst mother in Greek mythology, and I think life itself has a way of poisoning itself on any planet. Well, so, because we're not reading the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page, you need whoever it is that edits that needs to change it up because it makes it sound like you're saying that all human beings are in a sense suicidal and that's not what it is at all. But in a sense, it, you're probably your main supporters are climate change people, people that are pro climate or not pro climate change, but are trying to spread that movement out there as well, too, and make people more aware to what's going on around us because in a sense, we are killing it the home that we live on, whether that is a overheating or whether that is a freeze depending on who you're talking to they some people think that the earth is just going to be like another ice age type thing happening again and others believe that you know we're slowly heating it up every couple of years with a couple degrees um i mean i don't think that's i don't think that's wrong at all i think your theory for instance is definitely one that's more plausible than a lot of the other ones i've heard i mean it's a concept we're we're naturally curious and sadly that curiosity leads us to an inevitable doom in some sense as well too i mean it seems like every action we take is like one step forward two steps back in a sense um am i getting close to understanding the idea of it yeah pretty much uh, again the biggest mass extinction of all time took place 250 million years ago the end of the permian and the ultimate cause of that mass extinction was that <clears throat> the planet got so warm that ocean currents slowed down and finally stopped. So all of the oceans and the atmosphere became like a big swamp. You've got a very thick, warm ocean, loses oxygen. As it loses oxygen, it starts killing off things and it changes the type of microbes within it. They produce a very toxic gas, hydrogen sulfide, very low concentrations of this will kill us. And the ocean started emitting this stuff. So the killer is the hydrogen sulfide, but the producers of the hydrogen sulfide are bacteria, life. So it is life that caused the biggest single mass extinction of all time. Do you think that people are becoming more aware and that there's actually a need to want to change that? Or do you think that people are so complacent in their routines where they wouldn't wake up to something like that? Like climate change, obviously you have different perspectives on it. People think that it's just over inflated and some people think it's uh, we need to act now. Um, in my opinion, if you try and get someone to change, uh, they're never going to change if it affects their daily routine. And that's what you kind of see a lot. I mean, it's hard to get people to snap out of the thing that they've been doing for a very long time unless you condition them to so. Like wearing masks, for instance, that was the hardest thing for a lot of people. Then everyone got used to it. And now it's like the polars are shifting again without the mask mandates anymore. I mean, 
at least in some places. Uh, it's just, it, it, I have a guess, a general optimism in people that people will kind of want to survive knowing if there's like, but there has to be some type of in front fear. And sadly, if you're talking about something that builds up over time, it's, it's not going to make people aware until we're already in the red line. It's a little bit too late for change. Yeah, the problem is exactly what you've just said, is the time scale of it. The time scale of climate change is so slow, it, it doesn't get on anybody's radar except for the big bad weather events. You have a tornado come through or you have the global heat waves. Oh, look, I live in Seattle, Washington. Um, only 30% of the houses here have air conditioning. And we hit 107 degrees in my house last summer and it stayed there so it was over 100 degrees in my house for days at a time i mean you can live on those little tiny fans but what was so outrageous about that is the highest temperature prior to that in seattle had been i think 99 or 100 we were at 107 and we stayed there i mean that's something that has never happened in history here and yet, of course, we've seen in the last 10 years, I think five or six of them are the hottest ever recorded. So there's no longer the jury out on, are we warming up the planet? Yes, we're warming up the planet. If you want to call that climate change or say that's not climate change, I don't care. But we're changing the planet radically. And what's doing it is us, life. It's not volcanoes. It's not solar flares. It's not solar cycle. We're getting hotter and we're getting hotter fast. So you would say that we're, we're the ones that's doing all this damage, not like, cause I've heard uh, from like people who uh, I would say support the younger driest impact hypothesis, think that it's not just us, that this earth has been known to just reset itself. And I, I, cause I mean, but I guess they're basing it off of the evidence before, like many other extinctions, there's not like they didn't have cars that we know of that was polluting or things of this sort, but like, you know, in my opinion, I honestly think it's a major factor is us, but it's not like the small scale stuff when they talk about cow farts and all this. I believe that plays a part, but also industries and businesses have been running off of the same things for the longest time that are not the best. They don't really care about EPA regulations or trying to make it clean. They just want something that's going to give them money in a sense. And I don't want to... Harper on the whole entire climate change uh, topic the whole time because you got other things as well to talk about as well too. Um, but when it comes to the Earth, is it possible? Here's my theory, just from talking to astrophysicists and realizing that we're kind of like um, it, the best way they deter flat earthers is when they say the flat earthers say the earth or not the earth, um, the sun and the moon, you can see them at the same time. That's how you know the earth is flat. Well, we're on like an axis and that axis is slowly rotating at like it's like a not really a diagonal i don't really know how to put it into words um is it possible that the polars can shift like i'm not saying like a dramatic thing but over an extended period of time i'm talking about the long game where you have people like in australia their winter months are different from over here in the winter months is it possible that it's just slowly like the scales are tipping in a certain direction or does that sound just nonsensical nonsensical damn it i mean the moon is holding us in place. We're, if we had no big moon, uh, we would be tipping around, flopping around. The North Pole could become the equator, back and forth, lots of that. So even Mars right now, Mars floats around and tips around. It's all the sort of thing I think you're talking about. Our big moon holds us rigidly in place. Uh, it's a big hunk of rock out there. 
and the Earth and the Moon are in this tidal embrace and gravitational embrace that lends stability to both of them. Do you picture another extinction event happening? Obviously, probably not in our life, at least hopefully not in our lifetimes. But how, like, do you predict one coming up in the future as maybe even a thousand years or two thousand years? Well, I don't think you have to go a thousand or two thousand. Go one hundred or two hundred. Really? Oh, we're in the middle of it. It's going on all around us. Extinction isn't just the disappearance of species, it's the dis disappearance of individuals. I mean, to make a species go extinct, you have to kill off every one of the individuals. Um, Australia, I love Australia. I've been many times, I've lived there for a couple of stints a year each. And I would go about every seven years, faculty sabbaticals. And over time, bit by bit, <clears throat> One of the beauties of Australia, they have so many ground birds, but beautiful ground birds, big cockatoos, all kinds of parrots. And these things evolved in a place that had no really large feline-like predators. And then the Australians introduced house cats. And every time I would go every seven years, it's like you go see a friend of yours and visit their kid and every year you get to see them. That kid has changed a lot every year. Whereas the people watching the child never could see it happening on a day to day. But I was noticing the disappearance of birds in Australia is because of the house cats. And finally, the last time I was there, they were handed out petitions, kill all cats yeah. in Australia. They have a kill law or something. They have a law where you can shoot <clears throat> them and stuff like that. And the cats are way too smart to get killed. So they've run out into the outback. <clears throat> they have an unlimited number of birds to eat out there. And they are just destroying. It's just one example of how this extinction is going on. Do you think that there's something that like maybe the government's not telling us, like we might be closer than maybe what I think or what you think is coming close to we need to get off this planet in a sense? Like I always wondered why they were always investing so much time into looking up exoplanets or trying to find a place that you, you could live on. And everyone's like, well, it's just space colonization. That's what we want to do. We want to go out into the universe and explore. I'm like, yeah, but at the rate we're going at it, it seemed like they're increasingly interested in it with the amount of how like we've been having some major weather shifts in a lot of sense so i started looking at it like maybe they know something we don't and i mean you mentioned earlier about like uh human advancement for instance if, if that could be human advancement into moving on to another planet now i'm not pro destroying another planet in a sense but at the same time it's going to happen people are going to want to explore out and go past this rock and honestly my opinion i'm surprised an extinction event hasn't happened sooner when it comes to just an asteroid hitting our planet i mean if you look at the number of uh comets or asteroids that have just been just missed or some type of gravitational pull from the moon or whatever pulls it like that could be us at any moment but we just don't even think about it it's kind of like breathing you don't think about it and then it just happens and you're like oh my god this happened in 2017 this happened in 2019 oh uh that's i, I call that luck people say that's nonsensical as well too it might be um but i i'm that type of guy i guess i you could say Space colonization, though, you think human advancement is the is the next step of maybe saving us from maybe another global reset, I would say. How, how, how are we going to get there? How are we physically going to get to any other body out in space? Bezos. Well, <laughs> if you start thinking about how far away other planetary systems are, like Mars Elton John said it a long time. Mars is not the sort of place you want to raise your kid. No, David Bowie. Um, it's, it's, there's nowhere we can get to easily. 
And we are not going to be able to get even Alpha Centauri unless you could think that, yes, we're going to invent some sort of space drive. But if you talk to physicists, that's probably not, not ever going to happen. So if you start taking the point of view, we'll never get off the Earth as a colonial species. And that is a possibility. And yet that's never a possibility you see raised. But look at all the TV we see. I mean, every weekly TV series, there's some sort of Star Trek, this, that, and space. It's um, interesting to take the point of view, what if we can't get off? Well, that changes the whole stakes for how we treat this planet, or should. I think it's just so littered with people asking questions and not really getting answers to things like people say like now there's like if you look at the government website it says nuclear energy is the way to go but they deterred people for so long for using nuclear energy thinking everyone thinks you're going to grow like a third arm or something like that is that right i have no clue everyone's got a different opinion it's a bunch of people shouting at once where i'm like i would like to see future generations live in what world they're going to live in i have no clue um it's just a scary thing because if we've made it this far and we're recognizing our own destruction in a sense, what's a great way to get people to really take hold of the things that they have and really pay attention to the things going on around them? I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say psychedelics, but you know, I would like someone to go stare into nature for a minute and be like, hey, where are the mosquitoes? It's like, well, they're gone too. And it's like, what happened to that? And you realize that slow, small little change of not seeing fireflies or something like that leads into a whole dramatic snowball effect into something bigger than us. So where do you think we're going climate-wise? I have no clue. I honestly think it's going to be like a freeze event. It was 20 degrees yesterday. It's 50 degrees now. And then it's going to snow on in like a couple days so i'm just like i have no clue where are you located geographically maryland ah you got the other coastline it's uh yeah it's um that's what i'm saying though like there was flooding over there on the pacific uh or on west coast and then on east coast it was snowing over here so like you're just having like there's more natural disasters i feel like are happening more and more and more and yeah you could say that's climate you could say people like to think it's h-a-a-r-p which is harp um i don't think it's government manipulation but i'm looking at like the sense of the future and then so i've been getting interested in theories and also extinction events as well too which brought me on to yours as well too well i mean it's that we're giving a lot of credit to our governments if we think that they're able to manipulate the weather. Um, I mean, they seem to be pretty incompetent in so many other things and to imagine that they're really good at this kind of begs, but nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, we are just living through a time when carbon dioxide has gotten so high and so fast that we are gonna see ever warmer weather. In your lifetime, you're gonna see sea level rise too two meters, six feet probably. So your Maryland coastline is gonna be utterly different than it is now, as is my Washington state coastline. I'll probably be long dead, but by 2100, you know, human lifespans extend, you might make 2100. Uh, you're gonna see some stuff that's gonna be crazy world. I'm 46, I don't think I'm making 2100. Hey, we're well, living good then. So just, just <laughs> make a shot for it, right? Lots you, of celery and jello. Um, <laughs> bicentennial man, go for it. Uh, so I guess I would say, what have you been working on as of recent? Is there any new things on the horizon or new things that you're working on that happen to do with today's time? Or are you still trying to you know, find dinosaur bones or dig 
you know, deal with your actual, I would say, career path in a sense? Because it seems like you've taken a lot of twists and turns throughout your career. Yeah, I was um, introduced at a talk a couple of years ago by this is a person who is clearly easily bored. And I think that might be the case. Who wants to work on the same thing over and over and over, right? It's more fun to do lots of different things. Uh, the, my newest adventure is trying to study giant clams. Clams? Giant clams. Tridacna. I, I swear to giant, God. Giant clams. I thought you said clowns. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Well, it could be, they could be giant clowns. I'm, 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 right now, as we talk, I have this, I have a dog with his head in my crotch here. So I'm trying to deal <laughs> with that. Louis, say hi, Louis. There's Louis down here. Louis, gonna say hi. Yeah. Look oh, at he's, that. A big, he's a great big poodle. So giant clams. Um, you know about elephants, right? Elephants give ivory. Ivory is made of the trinkets. The world has an insatiable desire for ivory. And because of that, elephants have been being killed at a record rate now for a century. For their tusks. You know, people take out, yep, take out, shoot the elephants, take the tusk, leave the dead elephant. So that's been slowed down. And one of the people that has gotten it to slow down is a person in my university guy named Sam Wasser. And what Sam did is he figured out a way to, if you get a piece of ivory and a piece of ivory that has been seized. So right now, most of the ivory is being used to produce little trinkets and baubles for the Chinese and the Indians, but Asian markets love ivory. So they have been driving the extinction of elephants. If it's illegal, has been illegal for two decades to export ivory out of Africa. Nevertheless, people kill the elephants. It's a livelihood. How would you, if, a, if an elephant tusk is ripped out of an elephant and put in a shipping container and sent to China, but were it seized on the way there, because elephant tusks are big things, you're not flying an air freight. You're putting these things in shipping containers that are being sent on all the big ships that are sending all those containers all over the world. Well, our government has been and is extremely worried about shipping containers. I mean, we've seen the movies where somebody puts a nuke in a shipping container and among the billions of huge containers anywhere, everywhere in the world at any given moment, our government really does worry about that one container filled with some sort of uranium bomb. But lots of shipping containers contain stuff other than contraband, but the ones that do have contraband are being worried about. So how do you detect where an elephant tusk came from? So if you want to stop the poaching of elephants, you got to catch the poachers. If you want to catch the poachers, you have to figure out where it is they're killing the elephants. So what has happened is that there's now an ability to take DNA out of tusks. You get some nasty little bobble and we can sand it down, grind it up, get the DA out, DNA out of it. And this guy Wasser can now tell where did that elephant die? What country did that elephant get poached from? But it's so powerful now that he can also say, aha, we sampled that herd of elephants 10 years ago from this DNA. I know this elephant is part of a herd. I can go into even a few square miles and tell you where that elephant came from. 
So this is amazing technology. And it has largely shut down elephant poaching because you can catch the criminals now. So what do humans do when one source of livelihood is shut down? And there's been a substitute and it comes from giant clams. Great, big, monstrous, six feet, eight feet across. You see them on coral reefs. And when I was, yeah, when I was growing up, you know, the diver would always get his or her foot caught in the giant clam and they put on you and drown. No, that's nonsense. But they are a really important part of coral reefs. They take a couple hundred years to get to their size and they're being ripped out of the oceans everywhere in the tropics because we've shut down elf and ivory. Turns out the shell of a giant clam has a material that is a perfect ivory substitute. You can't tell the difference unless, of course, you look at the chemistry. Physically, the appearance-wise, it is like elephant ivory. So last report, there were more than 100,000 people in China who their full-time job is carving giant clamshells into trinkets and baubles that they used to carve out of elephant ivory. So it's this law of unintended consequences. Oops. Cat goes by. Maybe we do need an extinction event. Jesus, man, we really can't get over the trinket thing that much. They did the same thing with rhino horn. They were grounding it up because they figured out they could make us like a form of Viagra from it. Absolutely. So there is a huge amount of destruction taking place for the most trivial of reasons. So that men can have sex or so that a man or a woman can have on some tiny little pin that they're going to take off and put in a jewelry bucket or have a desktop, some beautiful frieze or some statue or whatever. And because of that, we reduced the elephants to almost extinction. And now we are killing coral reefs. We're ripping reefs apart. These clams are six to eight feet across. They're encrusted to remove them. They weigh hundreds and hundreds to a thousand pounds. You have to tear the reef apart around it, which people are happily doing. So it's a way to go back. We are using the same technique. We get a trinket or a bauble made of a clam. We are now doing the base studies to figure out, can I detect where that clam came from? And then we can figure out who's doing it. I mean, just less than a year ago, $25 million of giant clam shells were caught being moved into containers in the Philippines. I mean, that would have decimated an enormous area to get that many clams at about five cents a pound. I mean, they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tons of these giant clams stretched out on the beach, got caught. But that's the only one getting caught. You know, you, you, this stuff is taking place all over the planet. So again, it's a little bit by little bit. You do what you can do and you ask me what I'm trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to do is figure out a way to do what Sam did for elephants, for giant clams. Get a giant clam shell, figure out where it came from. Is there um, um, an organization that like people can be, uh, I guess, more aware to that can look to information upon this result? Because this is the first time I'm ever hearing it. I'm pretty sure maybe there's people out there that obviously are educated on it and know that it's happening. Um, but the general public, for instance, that's not a big 
everything that's in our eyes, everything gets shown is either COVID or it's all these types of talks that get played on media. This is something that should be on television because in a sense, I mean, the coral reef is one of the most important things that we have. And it, once it's gone, it's really gone in a sense. I've been to Hawaii a couple of times and just watching people carelessly stand on top of it and it dies. It turns bleach white and then there's it just recedes back and it, to even go explore the beautiful fish that you want to go see so bad you're taking a selfie on top of the coral reef. It keeps going farther and farther back and I'm like once it's gone it's gone you know these are homes yeah, for true. fishes and hawaii is the reefs there are about as healthy as you can imagine because we have had good environmental laws now i've worked in the philippines and the philippines uh the way what you do at the reef is you put a stick of dynamite blow the hell out of it and then come back and the dynamite stuns the fish so you just scoop up the fish reef gone but the, the philippines has been completely devastated the second way they do it is to dump in cyanide a liquid cyanide poison and that kills almost everything too and they still end up eating those fish so it's a interesting way of fishing let's say and all over the indo-pacific the big reefs are being destroyed and now this is another reason humans are going in the giant clams are worth big money big money now Because I, I know we started off with climate change and kind of talking about like people being aware that they're basically killing themselves. But I mean, in a sense, is it it's better for our environment? I mean, if we really look at the damage that we're doing on a grand scale, I bet there's a lot of people really stand. I mean, I get not what is it? I get a uh, PETA and all them now talking about like you know or environmental agencies that are trying their hardest and going in extreme measures, kind of freaking out in a sense. What would be like the modern day Karen? I understand it now because you, you find out all this horrible stuffs going on, you start to get worried. I mean, someone who's in the field like yourself or was in the field. Um, Coming across this, you notice these changes where common people that are stuck in their house with four walls around them really can't see this type of thing. It's not, I feel like if you had open, more open access, which I think um, a lot of academics really try and promote when they take pictures out in the field, um, I definitely think there needs to be more of like media that's covering this type of stuff as well, too. Well, when you have a sovereign country invade another sovereign country, and as we speak, people are dying right now. Um, let's just say it's hard to get the attention of worthy goals. Uh, we're at a, look what the 2020s has been so far. We've had a pandemic and now we're having the start of what could be a world war. Uh, interesting days. Hope for society? Or, I mean, hope for humankind or no? You seem like more uh, of a pessimist it, in it. I'm just reading the rocks. I just <laughs> look at what's happened in the past and you really don't want to go through another mass extinction. And yet we are doing our best to, it's just, there's too many of us. I mean, we're up to 7 billion people and change. Uh, that's a lot of resources being used up. Do you think it's because of maybe, I don't think people necessarily think they're the most important, but I think just something in our coding, something about in our DNA or something that just has us more of a, a priority in a sense. I think what only matters to you is what matters to you, like yourself and your family in a sense. But a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people can't even care about their neighbors. It's very, very hard to get them to care about something that they don't know is happening or they can't see. Well, I think we have to forgive ourselves too, in the sense that I ask my students, uh, what are the directives of life? You know, in Star Trek, they have a prime directive. But let's think about any species. 
what is your directive? So a species forms when some small splinter population gets isolated from its bigger group. If we start sending people out into space, we could probably start making new human species. But given that, let's just say that there's some new species of ant that appears. What is that species of ant trying to do? It's trying to survive. So how do you survive? You survive best, you have the highest chance to survive if you have lots and lots and lots of individuals of your species. The more of you there are, the better chance you have for survival. I mean, the innate drive of any species is to survive. Therefore, one of its drives is to produce as many of its kind as it can. Every species does that. There's no altruism. Every species would love to be what we humans have done. I mean, if those ants could figure out a way that we are going to have the civilization that humans do, we're going to cover as many different places. We're going to have our build technology for ourselves so we can live in the hot, live in the cold, live in the water, live wherever we want, send stuff to space. They would if they could. And we are just doing what any other species would do. I don't know if that's an apology, but it's a fact of life that every species wants to take over. Well, how did the prime directive for survival get switched to conquering over sustainability? I mean, I'm not survival. Survival is the more of you are, the better chance of survival. Every species wants to reproduce to the point that it keeps reproducing and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There's no sort of species sense that if I got too many of me, that might be bad for my species. No, that's not built into us. What's built into us is reproduce as produce as many of your babies as you can and increase their chance of survival like parental care. All of that is to build more of yourself. That's what earth life does. Yeah, I, I just, when, when we say a species, I think of a we, that means people in Russia, that means me in the States. That that's means, us, all right. That, that's, that's us. That's every, yeah, but that's not how people think of it. They think of it as their country now. People identify themselves over their political party before they even introduce you with their name. Like, in a sense, it's like people only want to expand what they like about themselves. It's kind of like the main point of having a kid, in a sense. You basically get a mini version of yourself spread on your bloodline. Um, but it's a we as a human species, not just nationalities. And it seems like our focus now is just about nationalities, one country wanting to conquer more and more and more to get the same people or the same nationality of people. It's not the same human species. Well, that's a concept that is arising because there are so many of we humans now. Our populations are bumping up against each other. And so within a species, of course, there are varieties that want to dominate. And again, it all goes back to genetics. But overall, if there were some threat from a separate species trying to take over what we humans are doing, uh, we humans would definitely band together. I mean, the, the trope of all the movies where here come the aliens, right? We all band together and fight off the aliens. Well, we are, have so thoroughly conquered this planet in a way that now we're sort of turning on each other. But none of that is threatening us. Well, only, the only threat we really have is full-scale atomic war. That's the major threat to the human species now. There's really nothing else that can get us. Our technology is too good. This COVID, had COVID happened even 20 years ago, we'd be looking at a billion people dead. 
not a million here and there, uh, it, it would be so much worse. And technologically now we can deal with pandemics. The only thing we can't deal with is a big asteroid from space. We don't have a way to protect ourselves from that. I'm not talking a little one. I'm talking a chipsaloop sized yeah. dinosaur killer, 10 kilometers. There's no way we can deal with that. That's my fear. Don't stop it. I, I think we just got lucky so far that one hasn't hit yet. I know Absolutely. they talk about if they can detect it faster, but I'm like, how many people are studying planetary defense? People think planetary defense when they think aliens. I think asteroids. Like that happens all the time. There's a reason why the moon looks like how it looks. Yeah, I was with a guy. I, I was working for NASA for a while, and I had a friend of mine who was the planetary protection officer. The official planetary protection officer for NASA. Just and one? he has a little card, planetary protection. <laughs> and he says, you know, I love my job and I'm good at it, but let me show you how this works. And we were at a bar in Washington, D.C. We were both younger, single men at the time. And the way he would walk up to the women and start the conversation, I am the planetary protection officer for planet Earth. You can trust me. The guy was golden. I mean, it was hold that little card up and oh, honey, oh. That was hilarious. It's a real thing. I mean, and he would not be able to protect us if we had even a five kilometer body. I mean, you see all the movies where we shoot stuff up and shoot it, right? Forget that stuff. This is mass and velocity. And the energetics of that is high. We are just lucky we live in a planetary system where most of the asteroids have already been cleaned out. What about um, like with Avi Loeb or that, uh, he couldn't even call it an asteroid. He said it was like debris from a lost civilization floated into our solar system. I think it was definitely like it was an abnormality for sure. I don't know if it was from a lost civilization, but the possibility of that happening again, something entering from out of our solar system that we can't see. I mean, we have telescopes and technology in a sense when it comes to uh, astrophysics or whatever to be able to, uh, or astrology to be able to, is it astronomy or astrology? I think it's astronomy. Astronomy. Uh, to be able to predict or see one of these things, but there's not a lot of funding getting pushed towards that. They're going towards something that's like more sexy, which is aliens, which in a sense, I thought that was my main positive for it. it was like, oh my God, people are going to unify together because something is bigger than us. And then they all started fighting on UFO Twitter. And I was like, you screwed us guys. Like, come on, we had one chance to pay attention to like, there's something bigger than all of us, a unity moment. And that's what I think they thought the pandemic was going to do. And it didn't do that. There was more division no, than ever. Uh, I have to laugh about the object that the Harvard astronomer you mentioned, Loeb, uh, he, he is laughing all the way to the bank. He was able to portray that as an extraterrestrial spaceship to make his book on the subject a number one New York Times bestseller. He's a multimillionaire now. So good job, Hobby. I had him on here talking about it. He seemed like he was pretty convinced it was something like that. He's good. Okay. My astronomy friends, whenever you bring up the term, they look to the sky. <laughs> he is a uh, majority of one believing that it's, it was here to spy on us, that it came from another civilization. None of the other professional astronomers give that a minute's thought. Do you think that it was a, 
I mean, maybe for him it was more good, but do you think that we could still ride the coattails of the fact that it would get funding into planetary defense? Because that is a one fear that I have is that an asteroid does hit or something that we don't even recognize or see comes into our atmosphere and then we, there's no chance for us to stop it. I mean, there was just that Netflix movie that just went up with Leonardo DiCaprio called Don't Look Up. I mean, that's a real thing. I hope that really woke a lot of people up as well, too. I'm surprised that Leo's more aware of that situation, like kind of like I am in a little bit. Well, it was, I, I laughed at it. It was a good movie. We we're supposed to be outraged and laugh, and you know, that's okay. What I hated about it was the way it portrayed the two scientists. We had Leo who looked as fat as he's ever looked, disheveled. And of course the fame breaks him down. And then his female sidekick, she was portrayed as the one serious person in it. And yet, if that's how we are, the media is portraying our scientists who are really working hard, it was very disturbing for me to see that. It's let's laugh at the scientists. They're both a couple of schlubs. And look at them, they're yelling, 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 nobody listens. So I know what Adam McKay was trying to do, but on the other hand, uh, I didn't really like the portrayals. People, don't dress well because they're not paid well in the science community, but we're quite serious people. And just to have Leo do what Leo did, I think was a disservice, but that's just me. Well, I don't look to a paleontologist or an archeologist to be dressed up in a suit and want to take them seriously because they're wearing a suit. I trust them in the clothes that they wear when they go out into the field. And you're not going to wear a suit when you go out into the field because you know you're going to get dirty. Sadly, the ones that get all the, uh, are the academics that do get a voice are, um, I wouldn't say younger ones, but they're ones that are extremely cited in what society's narrative is or views are. I've talked to plenty of academics who talk about like the amount of just kids storming out of classes and all these situations that happen because they're being brainwashed or they're being brought to something. I think a lot of that, like people just look at science like as a mess right now. And I don't think that's a hundred percent true. I've talked to plenty of academics who are trying their hardest to be people who are trying to break through their, you know, in their career field. But the ones that get the attention are the ones that are overdramatic and I would say sexy to the public. And that is the Avi Loeb story, or that is Bob Lazar, or that is whoever you want to say that has become the main face of whatever these topics are that get the narrative now. Well, there's a lot of keys to success. Uh, I personally am happy that we do have a scientific method. Uh, we, my biology department is one of the biggest in my university of 35,000 undergrads. Biology is so key to almost everything we're, we have as a species going forward. So it's, it's great to see so many people flocking to it. An awful lot of them want to be doctors. I can't imagine why anybody would want to be a doctor um, but there's sort of the monetary side that doctors do make money, which is good, good, good. But we have an awful lot of people who just want to go into science for the right reasons. And so that's very encouraging. What do you um, like when I reached out to you about the Medea um, hypothesis or theory? Were you surprised at all that someone was interested in learning that? Like, it seemed like you were just kind of curious that I would be interested into it in the first place or how I even came across it. Well, the funnest part about it to me is that two years ago now, I, uh, I don't know how they did it. I didn't get to see it. A, just before COVID hit, a drama group in London put on a stage play in which the Medea hypothesis was the central aspect of the entire play. 
So that was kind of a, a fun thing about it. Uh, it was a book that came out of a series of talks I gave at Princeton. And interestingly enough, the New York Times made it one of their top 100 books of the year it came out. So it, it did fine. I mean, it didn't sell a lot of copies, but that the idea was a counter counter argument to sort of these airy fairy idea, the new age sense that uh, the earth will again clean itself up. You know, we can, the earth will fix all our mistakes. I just hated that. So this is where Medea came from. Let's have a counterpoint. So if we end up, the human species ends up dying off, do you think the earth would just end up fading away with it? Or do you think it's all going to happen at once? I'm more interested in what is the fossil record that will be left behind by humans. If the internet's gone, they're all screwed. We don't have any logs <laughs> for them. No, no, but let's think about what are the what are the kinds of fossils that we find? You know, I study a lot of fossils. And what I study are invertebrates and their shells are calcium carbonate. It's the same material you find in a dinner plate. You know, you get a nice clay and you bake it and it gets really hard. So this is like porcelain. Shells make great fossils. Um, what is a freeway but porcelain, cement, calcium carbonate that's reinforced with stones, sand, and rebar? So we have produced some of the strongest material ever. If we bury it, because that's what the world does, is over time, mountains erode, lots of dirt and dust. So as we bury all of the last hundred years of human production, how long will that last as strata? And it will last, if the earth lasts, the earth I think is, we've, we've predicted 7 billion more years. For those 7 billion years, there's going to be some unbelievably jumbled garbage rich stratum of all of the human freeways and cement buildings and rebar reinforced everything. There'll be great fossils. I mean, we are producing a layer that will be as, <laughs> as identifiable as anything ever in the geological past. Yeah, we've wrecked this planet in a way. First off, the earth is only 8,000 years old, okay? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, I, I look at it like this. If we end up, the human species ends up dying off and there's a record that we're leaving, is there going to be an organism that would grow in the same way as us? Like if we came from a, a, a single cell organism or whatever, and we evolved from that and we became these things and our environment adapted us over evolutionary processes, would it be the same path if the climate was different or would there be another line of us that would be more adapted to the traits? Like, cause I honestly have been getting into the realm of like, we're all just on like these different timelines and these loops or these types of situations where it goes extinct and then it has to rebuild up from the start. I mean, that might sound asinine, but I think it, it, I mean, it holds some weight to it when it looks at like the fact of if everything kind of destroys itself in the end, um, or it has an end to it, whether it's their own doing or whether it's something else that does it for them. The next thing that grows though, like we weren't around when dinosaurs were around. So I look at it like, then what's the, what's going to be the next thing that comes up and is that going to adapt to what we did to this planet? And if they have a record to look back on, is it just going to be cement driveways or is it going to be something of more value to that? Or at least something that they can call home. Yeah, what happens next is a very interesting question. Uh, if we start thinking about the short term, not the long term, 
think about, to me, the, the most consequential aspect of the current climate is that we are so rapidly melting all the glaciers. So it, the fact that we have sea ice, that we have the sea pack in the Arctic, and that's melting fast, that doesn't do anything to sea level. What's screwing sea level entirely, causing it to rise so fast, there's only two places on the planet that affect the equation, Greenland and Antarctica. So it is the ice sitting on land. When that melts, every drop of ice sitting on land that melts and goes into the ocean raises the ocean by that one drop. If we have all of Antarctica and all the ice on Antarctica and that melts, well, then we're raising it much more than a drop. So all the sea level predictions generally end at 2100, but those who start predicting forward from 2100 to 2200 to 2300, sea level continues to rise. So let's think about our maps and let's think about human civilization, say three or 400 years, and let's say sea level has gone up 25 or 30 feet. What's happened to the human cities? My town would be foot, underwater. Well, completely. 30 foot sea level rise. And you have so transformed the face of the map, but you will have so unbelievably transformed human civilization. So the big, there's no stopping sea level rise. Now, we've just put too much CO2 in the, in the atmosphere. We, we have built in this enormous rise because we're melting the ice. We've started... Like, like it's a, a burner, right? You turn the burner off, it stays hot for a long time. So even if we stop putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the burner we've already left on for all this time has caused the oceans to warm and they are going to expand just a meter alone from the heat that's already latent, except guess what? You know, we're not stopping burning coal. We're not stopping the formation. You mentioned cow farts. We have a lot of cows on this planet. And they all produce methane. So they, they're a little bit. But what we have a lot more, there are many more cars than cows on the planet. And they're all producing greenhouse warming. Tell the vegans so, that so I can stop arguing with them. Yeah, well, it, there's an awful lot of people eating burgers. You know, it's still a, still a growth industry. Um, but slowing down the meat industry is one way to do this. But... Really, the one thing we have to do is just overall reduce human population size. It'd be a whole lot better to have far fewer people, but with all with a high standard of living, than so many people at every year more and more. And in areas, small areas with a high standard than most of the rest of the planet, not with. I don't know if you've ever been to India or Asia or the crowded areas of Asia. Boy, there's a lot of people crammed into this planet. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that the population, I would probably agree with Jordan Peterson, where it says it's going to stop at 10 billion people, then slowly work its way back. I think you're coming across a lot of kids my age. I'm only 24. Um, but you're coming across a lot of kids my age or in their 30s waiting to have kids, um, not even at my age, waiting into their 30s to have kids, because it's so hard to try and get your own place right now, especially if you're so young. So I think they don't want to have kids or at least they're responsible enough not to have kids when they live with their parents still. So they're waiting till an older age to have kids. Now there's going to be an exceptional few that have that, but I think after that, after a while, it's going to stop a lot of infighting. Cause I think what you're dealing with right now is you're having generation after generation, after generation, you're having like babies, having babies. And that 
there's not enough time gap of wisdom or there's not enough time gap of like information or respect to really build. If you have a 16 year old dad, you're already going to toss out everything that he kind of says in a sense, you're going to respect him. If you have that cool buys me a beer on my birthday type father, but in a respect manner where I think you're going to start seeing is people having kids in their thirties and in their forties, um, probably early or, or late thirties, I would say, you're going to see that generational gap and that slow population start to decrease, stop, and then slowly work its way back down because more of a patience and a waiting, which I mean, I, I think that's going to eventually work itself out. I honestly think people work a lot of their own problems out. It just takes time, but hopefully that time isn't so long that it's too late to really reverse the damages. I mean, in a sense, the earth, I think Bill Nye has a documentary on Netflix that I watched like a couple of years ago where he talked about what would happen if humans were just gone. And it's like, well, everything that we built is still going to be here. And that takes hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years in a sense to be able to degrade. I think there was a town he showed that was like 200, 300 years abandoned and the, the jungle gym was still there, but moss and like jungle grew over it. And he's like, it's trying its hardest to work through what we placed on top of it, but it's no easy task. But in the grand scale of time, I mean, what's time for our life compared to the time of the earth? I mean, there's no comparison. Well, I agree with you about people having children later here in America, but I beg to disagree in some of the places I have traveled. Uh, one place where that's completely untrue is the Philippines. And the Philippines now is a place where, again, there are three or four kids per family, every family, three or four kids. But it turns out the highest population growth on the planet is some parts of Africa and Nigeria has one of the absolutely highest rates. The entire north wall of Africa. I've worked in Tunisia and I've been in Algeria. I've been across this northern wall of Africa and everybody has lots of kids. I mean, we're the, the populations are being driven in areas that are not as North America is rich. What about society? What about society becoming fertile or uh, infertile? Like um, the amount of miscarriages and the amount of people that are having trouble having kids. There's a book by Shanna Swan. I don't know if you know who she is, but she wrote a book about uh, phthalates and plastics that we use. Yeah. Our plastic consumption has dropped our fertility count from 97 from my grandparents to 43% over the amount of time and the usage of plastics from our shampoos, from our drinks, from our – it's these phthalates in water, which apparently – I didn't know your taint size was linked to your fertility. I had no clue about that. She got this all. You'd have to read her study or look her up, or I can send you the article about it. But she was measuring a study of taint sizes, and they have decreased. And that that apparently with apes or something like that, it's linked. That that's the amount of like how promiscuous or how uh, fertile they are. Yeah, fertility certainly. Uh, even North America, human male sperm is becoming increasingly on. Uh, inactive or broken or bad. And again, it's a consequence we're just drowning in poison. But in some of the countries, again, in the Far East Asia, uh, there are perhaps less pollutants in some of these places and plenty of people. So a reduction isn't going to be that effective, I think. And, and the point being, we're at this human population bulge where everybody, everybody wants to have goods and services that themselves produce greenhouse gases. 
We all want a car. We all want air conditioning. If you live in the tropics, you have to have air conditioning. Boy, it's miserable to live in that 98 degrees, 98% humidity always. And then in Asia, then the monsoons come and it just drives you nuts. So what people try to do, get a better job, buy an air conditioner, buy a car, get a small house. It's we want to be more comfortable. And so that is what's really driving what's happening on this planet right now. Do you think that it was just the sales pitch that got us in this situation? It seems like we have a lot of businesses or major corporations, what I would call the Illuminati. I know people like to think, oh, you're talking about cloaks and stuff like that. No, I mean, giant CEOs of business that found out how to literally grease the system to make it work in their favor. The issue is that you don't care about people that you don't know their names. You don't know their faces. You don't know they exist in a sense. You know that there's people out there, but McDonald's, the CEO of that, I don't think he was worried about future generations being obese from his burgers. He was worried about the fact that he needed money and how is he going to get money? That's the situation that we've kind of been placed in, in a sense. Well, I mean, we are the consumers and these companies and all these fat cats wouldn't exist, but for us, it's demand. Uh, they are just supplying what we are demanding. If their company doesn't produce what we want, we jump to a different company. I mean, we all have cell phones now. I, I was so surprised. I could be so stupid. I was in Africa for a year, 2000, 1999. And Africa got cell phones long before we did. And I was talking to my partner at the time. And I said, you know, Nobody will ever buy cell phones in North America. We have landlines. Landlines are better. They have cell phones in Africa because they don't have landlines. And of course, that was stupid. As soon as cell phones became available, they're so much more practical. Though, who doesn't have a cell phone in the world now? Almost nobody. I mean, how, how old is a kid now when a family says, okay, I want my cell phone, mom, give it to me. And that's an ever younger age. Well, think of how much greenhouse gases went into the atmosphere to provide everybody on the planet with the four or five or six cell phones we've each now had. You know, I've got an iPhone six or seven or eight and people are saying, oh no, man, you need a 12. So I've had four or five or six iPhones. I got a six. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you've had any number. So anybody listening to this has had multiple or laptops. I've had 20 or 30 Mac laptops in my life. I got to get a new one. I'm just waiting for that check to come in. Yep. Well, when each of us has to have multiple laptops and multiple cell phones and multiply that by 7 billion, and you start seeing why we are in the position we're in. Do you think that, like, if you're going to give me something, I would say positive or through your work, I would say um, that you've kind of, been able to help reduce or be able to at least focus and make people more aware because i think that's the general topic here is that a lot of people understand like if it doesn't if as long as they don't see it they don't care about it like that's the thing about solar wind or wind power for instance they were going to build turbines in my town off the shore but everyone's like that would obstruct my view and then they didn't build them there and that seems like as long as you're doing it in another country you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening but people just feel better in a sense i feel like if more people were aware like the clam thing for instance or that scared the crap out of me and i'm probably going to look more into that and probably end up using it in my podcast again thank you for that information sure um i'll give you a shout out don't worry about it 
<laughs> but I, it, honestly, it's it's in a sense, it's kind of scary. I mean, I'm not trying to be like, you know, there's a, a lot of people I would call granola people that I work with that are all about like eco-friendly and, you know, whatever you want to say, like reusable swole water bottles or whatever they're called. Um, I'm not that person. Honestly, I use one bowl, one spoon when I do, uh, you know, dishes and all that. I don't try and use anything more than that because I'm just, it's just me. There's no other uh, thing. I feel I don't go out to eat. Don't go eat fast food or anything like that. But I feel like you can find small ways to minimize the amount of um, damage you would say. Cause I think humans in general, you're going to cause damage to the planet you live on. And I think it's all about reducing your uh, amount of damage that you're doing. And I think it's not going to work unless everyone works together with it. You're going to have people that want to drive great cars. Honestly, I don't drive an electric car. I don't really want to. Um, honestly, I just barely use my cars. It is just to get to work. But in a sense, people want to go and drive all night and just, they find that freeing and it helps their depression out in a yes, sense. They do. But I mean, if you look at the grand scale of like sitting outside and just really enjoying the air that you live in, I think when you start being more in touch with the nature and it's not, so, it, it, I think a major factor is it is too easy to survive. I hate to say that in some sense, it's not when it comes to mental health issues, sure. But when it comes to just like being able to access food so quickly, when it becomes to, you know, when it becomes way too easy to live and there's no conflict going on in your life, you're going to try and find it somewhere. And that is with war, that is with anything. Cause you just feel like, oh, I need to do something. People go to to Twitter to start fights because their life is bland. Their day was bland. It was no interaction. There was no someone flicking them off while they're driving. Like that's just an inherent thing in us. And I don't think that's supposed to be there. I think there was something that's gotten there because of comfortability, because of a disconnect from communication interactions like you have given me today. Um, it's all been done through social media. I mean, when I see your email responses, I don't know. I don't see your face. And then I start chatting to you. I'm like, this guy's got a great personality. You should be a stand-up comic. Um, you can if you wanted to. Um, honestly, you've scared me more than you've made me laugh, but I appreciate it in the same. You've kind of brought me back to base level a bunch of times. Um, well, you asked about one thing that I see is happening. And uh, interestingly enough, it's you. It's people like you. What is the change that's going on that I think is the most healthy podcast? Where did that come from, Right. Go back 10 years and tell me about how many podcasts there were. It was radio. Well, there's radio, and we had smooth guests and commercials in between. Uh, talk radio has evolved over time. But the big difference now, all the talk radio in the past was centered in radio stations that are themselves centralized origins of power. Now we have citizen podcasters, people who just, for whatever reason, decide, okay, I want to do my part in disseminating information, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. But the fact, it's like the cell phone analogy. Not only do so many people have the ability to talk quickly to so many other people in situations they couldn't before, but many more people such as you are trying to reach out and get information out and call it and examine it and try to figure out, is this good, is this wrong? Is this useful? Is it not? That's a change. So that's where hope comes from. I'll have to send you an out of the blank t-shirt. Um, there you go. <laughs> and speaking of which, I have to hopefully make my way to the University of Washington now. Okay. So I'm going to have to cut this short. Yeah, I'm about to go teach. What am I I'm teaching? Mass spectrographs today. We're looking at uh, carbon isotopes. So I'm going to head off and do that.
Well, um, Peter, if you want to have any links that you want to say to people, I'll make sure I link it all in the description. As nah, well. You know, I just, I just don't do that stuff. Okay. All right. Thank well, you. I, appreciate I, it. I appreciate you giving me your time and thanks for listening to this episode of out of the blank.